Episode six here of Adventure Cast. Thanks for coming with us on this journey. Jamie, when you heard that this gentleman was coming in, you immediately asked Lynn if you thought we could get an, an interview with him. Absolutely. I actually, when I was at Little River, USD 444, I got the opportunity to listen to you speak during your Kansas Teacher of the Year presentation that you did a tour. And I was enthralled by you then. And so then I followed you in years since. And recently I caught the little bit about you on CNN that they had done. And I showed it to Glenn. I said, Glenn, there's Kyle. Because I also (laughs) known you because you were a major part of our four um, year long grant. So we've had a relationship. You don't know this for many years. And I've been a little bit of a fangirl. And so when I when I saw that you were coming, I was so excited. And then you autographed my book, and the world me. got even better. <laughs> Sweet deal. So that would have been 2004, right? That I presented at your school. Oh yeah, yeah. It was. Did I make you cry? Yes. Did I make you laugh and giggle too? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm pretty it was bad so about inspiring. That. I know I stayed late and talked to you. I was one of those. Oh, no. But that was the whole point, making connections. That's funny. I just found out that this year's Teacher of the Year, her first year teaching in Bueller, I spoke at her school. And she laughed and cried. I just, she was in my room two weeks ago, and I didn't know who she was. And and she said she left completely feeling like I will never be that. I will never be able to do all that. And then as she started teaching, she realized it was heart and passion. It wasn't about 20,000 artifacts or a giant room. It was a heart and passion and loving your kids and doing passionate things. She actually has a blog called Teachers All Have the Same Heart. And uh, I'm amazed just like the connection with it. I didn't know you weren't going to tell me that. You knew that didn't tell me. But the ESDAC is um, one of those places that changed my life over the last 10 years. And we were just laughing. The last grant was five years ago. I was in that for four years. I presented three years before that for the Brown versus Board Ed grab. So what is that? Five and four, nine, 10, 11. That's 12 to 13 years that I've been coming down here and seeing everybody. Oh, nice. Eating your cookies. <laughs> I just so, made 40 of them. Yep. There you go. Yep. So I, I guess before we go on, we haven't said his name yet. Oh. We should probably introduce who we're talking about and he could probably do it best. Sure. Unless you want to give it a try. Yeah, go right ahead. Kyle Heilman. He was a Kansas teacher in the year in 2004. Woohoo! Great year. Um, And he's going to tell us some little known artifacts. He's a a teacher in DeSoto. Yep. um, Up by Kansas City, Kansas. And he has been instrumental in creating a museum. His classroom is not a classroom. It is truly a museum. And I'll let him explain a little bit about that. No, you, you got it right. So DeSoto Unified School District is in Johnson County. We're 110 square miles nobody wanted in 1963. That is slowly filling in with houses and chaos, now all the growth. Uh, We're halfway between Kansas City and Lawrence. I was lucky to get hired in a school district that would let me follow my dream. And, And gosh, 25 years ago, you cleaned your room out at the end of every year. 
nothing in it. And I asked if I could leave a five shelf bookshelf with some books and artifacts. And he said, yes, my principal. And the next year I had two or three bookshelves and the next year I had a whole wall. And then I did another wall, another wall, another wall. So now we have a classroom museum and a classroom and an archeology span lab and it's a movie theater. So a little bit of everything. I had them redo, I saw your look, Jamie. I had them remove my uh, digital projector and center it on the room, not the board because the kids are the most important thing in the room, right? So there's four desks to the right and four desks to the left hooked together, centered on the screen. So I can show video clips and pictures. I have the worst seat in the house. I always tease them with that. They can all see the screen. We can do simulated archeological digs. And the crazy thing is it all started 25 years ago with two Civil War bullets and then a donation letter from a grandma. If you did time travel back, and I was in a double wide trailer at DeSoto Junior High, and I was a twig, and you told me that I was gonna have a museum with thousands of artifacts, I would have smiled at you, pat you on the back and said, take your meds, and if they're really good, share them with everyone, because I never would have believed it would happen. And even now, it has a life of its own, and I don't, it, not to be religious or weird or odd, but sometimes it feels like I meet people for the right reason, things come to us for the right reason. The video you saw is three minutes and 40 seconds out of over 40 hours plus of videotape. And my emotion in that tape, it's genuine. It's a little embarrassing. It is who I am. But that has connected with so many people. Um, there's an engineer in California that sent $500 check. There's an architect in California that sent $250 and said they're going to send one every every year to help. There are other people that are just saying thank you so much um, for teaching kids the way we wish we'd all been taught. And the museum means something to people that have never, ever seen it. And I had a gentleman drive from Colorado with his wife three weeks ago just to see the room and talk. And he had two questions. One, what do you need? Which I don't think I ever answered that. I don't know what I need. And the other one is how do we make it for every other kid in America? And I said, I've been trying that for 10, 15 years. It's not easy. You can take a horse to water, can't make it drink. So not everybody gets the power of artifacts. Science teachers have been burning things and setting fires for years. Math has manipulatives. English, some of them have figured out if you have artifacts that tie with the book you're reading, it works or creative artifacts to write stories. But social studies is the last one to figure out. Maybe we should have pieces of history while we're teaching history. Okay. So you just touched on some, and now I'm curious. You said this all started with two bullets. Was this, was this always your dream? No. You were thinking, or I mean, when did it click? Okay. So don't laugh. I'm prejudiced. If it works, I use it to teach. If I try it and it doesn't work, I throw it away. I used to pride myself on how many sets of worksheets I had still wrapped in the plastic. That oh, I'd never use. Well, I hated them. I they, Okay, so I did what I was taught first year. I did the worksheets. I did the chapter questions. But then I realized in a textbook, the check, the section review questions and the chapter review questions and the worksheet questions and the test, they're all the same question. So all I had my students do was the section questions in groups and I went around and helped them and talked and I taught lessons. And then we did the chapter review questions as a game like Jeopardy and Quiz Who Knows What's Ready for a test. Then we took the test. And that was it. And we went to the next unit. So I started doing projects the next year. And back then I had 70 kids for the whole year. So a project every nine weeks. Can't do that when you have three or 400. Even though now I have 600 to 800 a year and every child's final exam, nine week semester course is to build something, write a paper about it, research and present it. But I wanted to do something special. I showed the movie Glory with Denzel Washington, Matthew Broderick. And we got, and they all fell in love with Denzel Washington. They loved the intensity. The end Black and white are dying together, falling down from being shot. And they're like, that's so fake. One bullet couldn't do that. Oh, I was PO'd, or as the British would say, very put out. So I bought some <laughs> dropped bullets. Yeah, well, I have to be careful. This is a children's show. Um, 
the bullets are dropped, but they're perfectly intact. They were never fired. And then you want fired ones that hit something. If it's hard, it makes weird shapes. If it hits soft tissue, cows, pigs, people, whatever it hit, it mushrooms. And you show those and you put them in their hand and you talk about, okay, you know, they brought the soldiers back shot and they see an entry wound. And we need to know, did it go through and through? It's lead. We don't want it in the body. It would roll soldier over and sometimes their whole back would fall off. Over the years, I've gotten pretty good. I show some of the opening scenes from Dances with Wolves with the, with the surgery and the tools and the blood and the boots and the amputations. I refer to Star Trek, early 60s. What was McCoy's nickname, the doctor on board? Bones. Bones because yeah. all doctors in the Civil War are called sawbones. They're basically amputating right and left. And the kids are like, oh, that's horrific. Oh, my gosh. We watched the last battle scene again. These are eighth graders. Nobody talked. Nobody laughed. And a couple kids cried. If you can get an emotion out of an eighth grader and they actually care about something, that's... That's some, yeah. It is. And I was hooked. And I thought, oh my gosh, two pieces of lead that were supposed to kill a human being just taught better than all my books and all my worksheets. So I bought a little cheap two-shelf bookshelf. I said, bring stuff in. We'll make our little mini museum. And that's exactly... It was just shelves. And people brought stuff in and then they took it home. But one grandma sent a box, a lantern, family Bible... Um, some other glassware and wrote me a letter, promised never to sell it and always teach with it. You can keep it. Her grandson and I had really formed a bond. His name was Jason and Jason had a very rough childhood. He was on his way dropping out. And before the year was over, we were eating lunch together. And back then the teacher's lunch table was next to all the kids, only teachers. I had to get permission from other teachers. Well, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. So he sat with me at the I end. I now that he says it. It's, it's <laughs> been a long time and we had a great time and connected and, uh, if I knew then what I have now, I would have that letter framed. I keep thinking maybe I'll find it someday in a book or something. I very likely just tossed it because I never would have imagined we'd go this far. But just the people listening to this, if you imagine what's in your grandparents' attic and basement, if you think what's in your house, or if you've ever cleaned somebody who passed away and cleaned out the whole house, it can take weeks. If people know you're teaching with it and you're going to protect it, there are 60, 70, and 80-year-olds out there really stressing right now. If I give it to my kids, they'll throw it away. They'll sell it. They don't appreciate it. Nobody wants it. If they knew schools would teach with it, they always get excited. It, it makes them feel good. You're like taking a weight off their chest. So nobody knows this. I haven't told anybody. There's a book being mailed to me right now. I just got the email this morning when I got here. His name is Stan, and the book is a photo album of Admiral Byrd going to the North Pole. And it's all photo clips, pictures, newspapers. Somebody did a huge scrapbook. That was a big thing for a hobby before TV. And somehow he came across it. It's filled with historical documents, pictures of Bird and all his men. And he's donating it to our museum for my kids to see it. Wow. So very cool. So the I, kids have no idea. No, nobody knows it's coming. When it comes, I told him what I'd like to do. He's 72 years old, just got a new hip, um, is that I'd like to call him, put him on a speakerphone, and we'll open it together. And then I'll tell the kids what it is and have them all look and react. What he was really freaked to find out is we have a gentleman at church named Bill. Bill went with several of the admirals down to Antarctica. And I'm pretty sure he was on some of the trips with Bird when he went to the South Pole. So he might actually be, Mr. Wim might actually be in some of those pictures as a young man late right after World War II. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> People get excited. Well, when there's a real connection. Yeah. And the real connection is the story. So history, ay, ay, ay. history can be the most awful class your child ever takes. It really can. Worksheets, timeline. I still have nightmares about somebody handing me an empty timeline or an empty map. Fail it all in. Uh, right? Maps can move on the visual. The timelines can move and interact. History is his story, her story, and I'm pointing at them, and my story. And we need to tell it as a story. 
stories connect us. Be honest. Have you seen a movie that there's a sequel coming out to and you're dying to see the sequel? Have you ever lost satellite coverage or been watching a middle of a movie and lost the program and had to wait to finish it? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And it's frustrating. <laughs> or if you were my brother and you were taunting me and I ripped out the last 20 pages of your book, I never did that, <laughs> but I did threaten. Yeah. We, we like good stories. We want to know what's going on. And if it's told the right way, you can't not pay attention to it. So when did that connection happen? Because it wasn't your one of teaching from what you said. No, the, the, the beginning of the year. So then I got transferred very next year. They closed the junior high. I went to Monticello Trails Middle School. I was seventh grade world history, um, regular classroom, um, 70 kids for the whole year. I had three bookshelves by the end of the year that I'd asked about and filled up mostly books, models, but then the kids are making projects every nine weeks. And the kids are like, well, I really want this pyramid to be a part of the museum. I want it. I'm giving it to you. But honey, it's really beautiful. And you've got it opened up and you got action figures. Are you sure? Yes, I want this. And should they write their name and date on it? The oldest thing in terms of the museum's history, not world history. I've got fossils and millions. I've got some weird stuff. I have a dragon made out of two copy paper boxes with tissue paper. It's 24 years old and it's been in the museum since Zach Starnes made it all those years ago. I love it. It had red Christmas lights in the mouth for a while. Now it has a big LED ball that flashes and lights up and looks like he's going to hawk a fireball. But the kids love that, that there's something in there. And you know they come back and check with me, right? Do you still have my catapult? Do you still have the Barbie that I stripped naked and dressed her as a Roman? Yes, yeah, she's up there. Uh, you know Iris, the goddess of the rainbow? That's why your colored part of your eyes called your Iris? I have a Barbie doll with a rainbow dress, and she's up on the top shelf. That girl asks, sometimes I have to send a picture to kids at college. Yes, I still have your Barbie. So the museum grew initially because of them and projects. And then there were two seventh grade teams, and I did not know it, that there were parents begging for their kids to be on my team. He shows video clips. They do projects. They do, back then I did archaeology in tubs, which just broken glass bottles that we had found in Colorado from a gold mine town. And they cleaned it and put it together. And they said, oh, could you make a new elective out of the museum? Museum connections. The museum connects you to history. And then all heck broke loose. I'm now seeing half the sixth grade, half the seventh grade, half the eighth grade, and then it got bigger. And I'm seeing out of 890 kids, I'm seeing 850. And so all those grandparents, all those parents, we had museum night for a long time. Kids would compete in a test of knowledge to cover the section of World War II, the section of Japan, and they would dress up in costumes. We put all the desks together, put out all the displays and projects. PTA brought donuts and coffee. That's the only way you get dads <laughs> to show up. I'm just being honest. And then the kids would brag about the museum and show off everything. And grandparents would come. Sometimes they'd cry. I'd get a hug. And they'd say, I have some stuff for you. I'll bring it in next week. And I still have veterans or families of veterans that bring it to the office and never meet me, never talk to me. It just says for Mr. Howman in the museum. And sometimes it's it's Nazi memorabilia, a helmet with a bullet hole, um, World War II uniform parts. They just want me to have it, but they don't want me to know where it came from. No, but the story is where a lot of the history comes from. It is, but, but we got to be honest, right? Families throw away stuff every single day. They don't appreciate it. You go to Goodwill, you'll find antiques. They just didn't know they were antiques, bottles, all kinds of stuff. Um, thrift stores. The garbage dumps right now are the future archaeologist's dream. When they can figure out machines that can process all the plastic and the paper, their stuff, all people throw things away all the time. And whoever's listening to this broadcast, tonight when you go to bed and you lay your head on your pillow and you close your eyes and take a deep breath, <sighs> completed the day. 1,200 to 1,700 World War II veterans will die today. 
and they will leave lots of artifacts behind, sometimes hand grenades that are alive, be careful. Samurai swords, flags, uniforms, diaries, pictures. I have a Pearl Harbor survivor's cap, and it has a pearl from Pearl Harbor and the 50th anniversary. It's amazing. But um, his kids moved into his house and threw out 17 bags of garbage, including that hat, which was on the garbage. And the neighbor grabbed it and brought it to me. And I always say yes to a donation. I got three World War I uniforms this year. I only kept one. I donated the other two to a couple high schools. Um, Stuff's getting thrown away all the time. When you make it known that you want to collect and teach with it and you have to build trust, I will not sell this. I will teach with this. And when my time's done, I'll find somebody else to teach with it. Nobody gives it to the large, round, fat, sweaty man who talks too fast. And by the way, that's me. They give it to the kids. They're excited that they're going to see it and touch it. It makes them feel good. So in that being said, in 24 years, how have you been able to store all these artifacts? You had to have outgrown your So if my principal is listening to this, cover your ears now. So I have two storage closets they know about. I have lots of storage in the room that I've modified things. I even have a a big uh, vertical stove that I open it up. It's full of Kevlar body armor from uh, the Gulf War. But there are two or three display cabinets that are just cabinets in the activity center. And about 10 years ago, I said, what's in those? Took us three weeks to find a key. 1977, 1997, Iowa test of basic skills. I took that. Me too. Oh, it's torture. We threw it all away. And they gave me a key. The custodian has one and I have one. Nobody knows that those are mine. One of them is an 1800s bed. Uh, You know, a single bed and a double. I have a three quarter. 75%. It's tiny, but we put it together. Feather mattresses. Um, And then the other one is newspaper collection, all getting pressed by old textbooks so I can laminate them. Other one are done, laminated one. And the other one is artifacts I pull out and do random teaching with. So I've got two storage rooms and four cabinets. Oh, then we had a big sale. And I cleared everything out of the warehouse where I had been cleaning stoves and stuff. I had like 1,800 boxes. I kept the best 800, way too much, but I still kept it. Sold all the extra stuff and people donated stuff to be sold. We made about $10,000. I built 10 giant glass display cases out in the hall. We have a camera collection, fossils, Middle Ages battle scenes, rocks, gems, shells, And then we have a two 1800s uh, display cabinets. There's probably 10,000 artifacts just in those two cabinets. And then the other two are 1900s or newer. So all of that's me around the building spreading out slowly. (laughs) You need to come see it, Jamie. I can tell you. Well, we just happen to be going up to Kansas City next week. Are you seriously? Yeah, Yeah, we are going to be in Kansas City. What day? Overland Park will be there. 24th, 25th, and 26th. What days of the week is that? Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So I'm gone Wednesday to Lexington Trails presenting. Tuesday and Thursday, show up any time of the day. And if you're going to be late, let me know and I'll stay late and open the school for you. Um, You cannot interrupt my classes because you're in education. Your background, you can already show up and be a part of the class. Um, I'm pretty sure eighth grade, if all goes well, be in the middle of a Civil War battlefield dig. Sixth grade's doing Greek and Roman mythology. I don't know where seventh grade's going to be. Oh, probably finishing up Japan, ninjas, samurai, the Bushido Code. High school, I have no clue where we'll be by then. But you're welcome to show up. Come see it. No, we'll rent a car or something. Well, anybody listening to this broadcast, my email's out there. You're always welcome. It's a community museum. They might make you put on a visitor's badge. They might ask that you come during lunch or plan when the kids aren't there. But if you're an education professional, you're allowed to be there with kids. If we want to do a background check, you can come in. Uh, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts come in and do digs for free. I open the door, turn on the light so there's no fee for the custodian. Insurance covers them. We have 
60 Cub Scouts coming one to two o'clock, two to three o'clock, three to four o'clock this coming Sunday. And they're all doing a simulated dig. Fun. How do you find time to balance everything? <clears throat> well, so I'm not, I'm not your normal 49 year old and I'm looking away from you so I can process. Sorry. Um, I survived a brain tumor. I survived two shattered broken legs. I'm a cancer survivor. I walked with a broken femur for the last year before they realized it. I have a brand new knee and then I'm learned to walk again. I've been through a lot. And if you talk to somebody 60, 70, 80, who's been through a lot, they reach a point where everything that's really not important fades away. For me, be a good dad, be a good husband, be a good teacher. It's easy, focus on those three things. So I coach my daughter's volleyball. I work with my wife for our children. I hang out with my wife when we have our time. I take my daughters to whatever activities I can support them. Zuzu has a band concert next week, matter of fact. And I juggle around it, family first, and then anything I can do to support the community. So everything that's been given to me, I have an obligation to share it. That makes sense? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm giving up a Sunday afternoon. I'm not making anything out of it, but those kids will create a connection. Any of them that know about my school that are gonna go to my school instantly know they have a friend there. So that summer from fifth grade to sixth grade, and they're nervous about going to sixth grade. Mr. Heilman's there, crazy old man, he'll help you. 